Hey, this is the What I'm Watching Podcast with Christopher Kira. I am going to do another beta pilot episode. It's going to be Cold Point 2. I'm not really sure when I'm officially going to start giving them whole numbers, but we'll see. So, you know, I'm trying to get the hang of this and get a feel. As long as nobody's really listening, I can test a lot of things and be a little bit more contrite with things. So, please be patient and let's go. Here we go. What I'm watching, point two, beta, pilot, whatever test episode you want to watch. Kevin Feige, WandaVision, and more. This is what today's episode is going to be about. A little low energy, so let's get started with trailer news. Um, today with trailers and news, I kind of, this week I think it was a little weak, weak with trailers. I don't like most of the trailers that came out outside of... You know, you could look and you could say, like, there's a few new ones that are really good. But there's really, outside of, like, three that I listed, it's mostly, you know, you know, lower-end movies. Movies that aren't interesting that really came out. Nothing compared to last week's. You know, you had a Judas and Black Messiah trailer that was pretty good. But we already seen the trailer, another trailer for it, like, months ago. Maybe even a year ago at this point. So... I really don't want to add that to it, but my three favorite trailers this week were Cherry's official trailer with Tom Holland. I think that you have to buy all Tom Holland stock right now, so I'm going to save this for my last discussion piece, and I'm going to talk about my other two trailers first. Fallen with Viggo Mortensen is just another Viggo Mortensen acting, you know, it just, it seems like it's a movie that you know is going to be a good quality movie. It's going to be artistic. It's going to be deep. It's going to be a drama. Viggo Mortensen goes back to see his father. I think he plays like a gay man. It's based on a book maybe. And his father's just dying for lack of a better term. So, you know, it's one of those things where it's just, it should be another award nomination for Viggo Mortensen. I don't think Viggo Mortensen gets enough talk as he should. When you really look at his career, you can put him in the same conversation, um, from talent-wise, as the top guys, and I, the first thing that came to mind was, like, a Daniel Day-Lewis. But, like, I know people are going to be like, well, no, Dan- look at old Daniel day Daniel Day-Lewis was very picky with the movies he does, and they're all really well. So, I can understand people not feeling comfortable with that comp. But, in the end, you know, Viggo Mortensen, I think, go pound for pound. I think everything you see him, he does. He does amazing. And, you know, I, I know a lot of people are going to be like, well, Lord of the Rings. But then I'm like, you know, Eastern Promises, my best Viggo Mortensen. You know, Comp, History of Violence is another one where it's just... You, those performances, even in Green Book, and I know that for some odd reason gets, you know, you know, cancel culture and wokeness evoked because people don't understand things. But, um, which if you're, you're outraged by that movie, you're a fucking moron. Like, you really shouldn't be in criticism or in any type of culture commentary space if you're outraged by that film because the one it's based off of um an autobiography which is just alone from that standpoint when you if you're adapting history you whatever i'm not even gonna go into that because it's just gonna be eight hours long but vigo mortensen was great in it and he's great in everything he does and he transforms he's a transformative actor that's why i compare him to daniel day lewis because he does mold himself into every role he just doesn't, and most guys don't have the luxury of a Daniel Day-Lewis career where they can literally pick like six movies over 15 years and they could be all home run grand slams. So like that's the knock whenever anyone compares someone to Daniel Day-Lewis. But I think he's a good comp because of his transformative ability and his, when he does fit into those roles, they're all-time roles. You know, and they're more take chances and unique roles, I think, than a high-end art role like uh, Daniel Day-Lewis would usually do. So it's probably a movie I'm not going to see in theaters, but if it comes to streaming, I'll check it out. Um, it, it looks interesting. It's good drama. You know, I don't know. I don't know when. I don't think it would technically qualify for this year's Oscars coming up. So, you know, if it if it comes out before, then that wouldn't be a, like a bad, you know, if it's a good, good enough performance, like a fifth uh, best actor nom. Uh, I care a lot with Roseman Pike is... I like that you know from Rosamund Pike from her career and specifically Gone Girl, she's a high-end actress. But sometimes you're just limited by the marketplace. So in a role like this, I feel like it's perfect for her because it's like it, it harkens back to a Gone Girl role, which she's now popular for. And this like cunty comedic 
woman role and it's just you know it's a perfect place for her because she like that her in that movie makes me interested in that movie like when that comes out i think it's coming out on netflix it's it's i'm gonna i'm gonna check that out just because it looks like a good laugh and it looks like a good role for her and it's good leading role you know a lot of people don't realize like sometimes you gotta you can't always be um like a sandra bullock or you know um fucking I'm forgetting her name. I don't know why, but um, August Osage County. Both actresses, actually. Like, you can't always be a Meryl Streep and Julia Roberts. I don't know why those names were uh, bewildering to me. Where, like, they pretty much get everything, or they at least, like, everything they get are high end. Like, that's the thing people don't realize. Like, not everything's going to be high end. You know, there's actresses on that level. Julie Roberts is just... Listen, there's only one pretty woman role. There's only one, you know... Meryl Streep, she's been in a million things. So there's all, But, like, there's only one Aaron... Keep it on Julie Roberts. There's only one Aaron Brockovich. Like, there's not enough roles for as many good actresses as there are. Same thing with men, to be honest. Because all the good roles are going to go to the same batch of guys in a certain time period because it's hot runs and it's cold runs. So you have to understand that. And at a certain point, you have to be recognized. Like, I think I think there's probably more actresses and actors that were really good that went to the wayside because they weren't willing to take non-traditional routes and roles. And I think Rosamund Pike, I think this is a movie that's non-traditional, especially if you're like, I'm a leading lady, but it's like, it's a fun role. It's an endearing role to fans, viewers. And I think it's one of those things where it's like, this could be easily construed as a success on streaming because people watch, people have a good time. It seems like a good cast, good idea, original idea too. And it just seems like a all around good time. So all you have to do is give a good performance in a film like this and people have a good time. And maybe the numbers be slightly good, whatever the metrics were for a film like this in streaming. And... It's going to parlay you in private and public real well. Like, people are going to appreciate it. So, to me, I think a movie like this is underrated when you see the trailer and you're going to be like, okay. But in, when you think about, like, her career and and the what this could do, it's like, okay. But, like, you know, this goes back to my streaming process. My streaming theory is that, like, you'll see a lot more movies get made because... There's no more ABC level movie. There's just movies. There's just story. There's just content. So now, like, if you're looking for... You're not trying to get people in theaters. You know, no offense to Rosamund Pike, but... There's just very... To see people say it's sexist because you're talking about women, but it's, it's men too. There's not that many people that are really at any given time going to get people in theaters by themselves. There's like five actors, maybe two actresses in the whole world... Well, not whole world. I'm not going to count uh, Bollywood and certain other areas of film. But let's say just Western film. There's only like maybe like less than 10 people that can drive large box office without IP and without a good package behind them. And I mean package in all honesty because it's not only IP. It's a package. Like you do have to market. You do have to present yourself well. You do have to have a whole thing together. Because I look at Tarantino films, especially recently. They are the perfect package. Are they going to make a billion dollars? Like a Marvel movie? No, maybe. But like that's the 1% of 1%. If you're talking about the average of being great and successful, I think like a good uh, level and bar to set to is to look at recent Tarantino success, recent Scorsese success. Because it's like you have a history. You're regarded as one of the greats. You get great cast. You have original story. You have good marketing. You have good visuals. You have good... You know, little like media, like with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you have the Manson, you know, angle that you can market with too. Like, there's a bunch of facets that go into it. It's not just so singular as new Avengers movie coming out, which even for Avengers, it's not that singular because you can compare uh, Age of Ultron to the other three Avengers movies and it just didn't have the same thing because of packaging and marketing and such. So, you know. It's, you have to have the whole thing together for success. It's not one, two things. It's eight things piecing together and then you're still not guaranteed success. So that's why I think like streaming gives more people who are really talented like a Rosamund Pike. Um, 
such an avenue to succeed especially with a movie like this so i'm really excited for this and i'm i'm like i keep saying i'm excited for these like weird little ones because of what they what they can do so on to cherry which is about uh army medic with ptsd who's addicted to opioids and robbing with tom holland with the russo brothers which which by the way i take a lot of that stuff with a grain of salt you know i know a lot of people like the russo brothers you know rest development community tv show directing and then their movie directing is all ip which again to me from reading about it it's it's when you're directing big ip films which we're going to go into the how kevin feige is more important than the directors are no offense um they're they're handling a ship but they don't decide where the ship's going for the most part think about it like that you know and when you look at the russo brothers outside um they're great at writers producers when you look at extraction and action the outside of uh outside of the marvel movies they direct it's like you mean dupree which i didn't like um it's not really it's not for me um Welcome to Collinwood. I never seen so outside of that, like you don't really have much. So you have these long tenures. They're television people for the most part, which again, I'm a big community fan, so you appreciate that. But you also have to take everything when it comes to directing with a grain of salt. Like this is gonna be their first. It seems like solo, non-supervised directing skit. When you really think about it, like you go, I'm looking at their directing and producing. It's like this is them on their own. So. To me, I think Tom Holland's going to bring a level plus acting because he does. He's going to win an Oscar one day. It's going to be, he's going to be, he, he, the argument, the comparison I can make is he can be a more mainstream version of Leonardo DiCaprio if he wants to be. Because I think he's putting in the groundwork when you see, you know, even him doing like voice acting on Onward, it's like he's putting in the groundwork for young and middle-aged fans to be associated with him and then they also when he decides to do something serious which i think he can seriously do especially when you look at devil all the time and i think this is gonna be another movie where it's just like listen he can do serious and he can do fun so like let's not typecast him into one or the other and he's doing and he's not i know a lot of things ride on him with uncharted and spider-man but to me i think he's surrounded by such good quality people again kevin feige um, Russo brothers, but it's you gotta understand a guy. Uh, the, I don't know. I can't. I, I can't put it into words how good of a career I think he's going to have as long as he stays stable outside of acting. You know, it seems like he has a good team around him just from the projects he's getting, and he's and he's using his cachet to get himself better and better work. And he's not always. He's not trying like Devil all the time. I think nine out of ten young actors, if they're in you know disney marvel ip mode you know especially if they get uncharted they're not going to take a role like that because it's a little it's a little iffy of a movie you know what i'm saying for lack of a better term but i think for him it's a great chance and i think it was a home run success you know you put him against robert pattison who just went on an indie circuit run for like 10 years since twilight and just killed it you know and you're like oh they can act with each other you know what i'm saying maybe maybe you might dislike the maturity of Holland versus him, but he could still act. So overall, like you got to be excited for a film like this, and I think the success of this film r rides on the Russo brothers' directing and writing skills, not on Holland's acting skills, because he can do a good job. But remember, these guys don't. This is their first thing where they're producing, they're directing. You know, I don't think they're doing the screenplay because it's based on a book. But they have creative control over this. So this will give you an idea of how well they succeed at this. Will give you an idea of what Marvel is about, actually. You know, I don't. I think this is going to be a great performance by Holland. I can see from the trailer already. I think it's going to be an interesting story. So from there, good. Um, I'm not really worried about budget concerns because it's Apple TV and they probably gave him a shit ton of money. So you got to look at it from a point of this is a good experiment for this is a director's who became whether people knew they were big before Avengers. They became big because of Avengers and, and the Marvel IP 
and this is their first time directing and controlling something on their own without a Kevin Feige uh, support system overhead. Extraction was really good, but a lot of people didn't like it. So, and you have to be an action film fan. So producing that and doing that was good for a guy like me. I'm like, oh yeah, cool, but they didn't direct it. They didn't, I think they wrote, I think Anthony wrote it. But overall, it didn't get great reviews. Like very few people recognize a movie at the end of 2020. And that was, you know, deadest year of films ever. So, you know, you gotta, this will be a very interesting experiment for the Russo brothers. And, you know, I'm very interested to see how this goes. So on to news. Oh yeah, real quick, I totally forgot about this trailer. Um, Demon Slayer Mugen Train Arc, they released a dub trailer for the film. It came out last year in Japan. It's based on probably one of my favorite new um, anime series. And it's based off of the train arc from the manga that they're adapting. And they're doing a whole movie for it instead of doing a, uh, serial episodes for the arc. And it got rave reviews in Japan. It blockbuster in Japan. So we're, we got the dub trailer and it looks amazing. And the dub, again, goes back to part of my views on current age of people who like sub over dub dub is better than sub because you get to enjoy the visuals more without reading it's just it did it's hard to argue against that because you you your eyes are literally looking at words instead of looking at the art and when you watch good dub which a lot of things are good dub nowadays it's always a better choice you know and no matter what if you don't know japan and J japanese culture it's hard to argue that you know subtleties with subtitles you know you know cultural like little colloquialisms and such you know a lot of people be like oh i know i googled it but like the adaption and the dubbing helps translate that better in my opinion and it and has in previous years and i think dubbing is so good now that you have to you know people need to respect up a little bit more but demon slayer mugen train arc uh coming out early this year i don't know what they're gonna do whether it's theater or on demand or something like that i'm hoping they do on demand because i'm in new york so i don't know how much theater i'm gonna be able to go see but uh yeah that's a that's the last of the trailers i can talk about that series and that potential for that movie all time i like the idea of it's gonna be on a train and it seems like the i, I haven't i've gone out of my way to make sure i don't read the manga so i don't so I could stay surprised. It looks like the demon that's taking control of the train puts people in a trance and asleep and a fantasy world. So it's going to be very interesting to see the multi-layered facets of this arc and this battle from, you know, end of a train to beginning of the train on top of the train. There's going to be, the art is already beautiful. You can see that from the trailer and from the series. So uh, it might even be better because it's a theatrical production value art. So, and we've seen that with manga and Shonen Jump series, i.e. like, one Piece and Dragon Ball when they go movies it's always a step up in production so I'm really excited for that so that's a uh, Demon Slayer movie out early this year trailers out dub now go check it out uh, it's amazing it's amazing so quickly on to news and notes of the news and notes and trailer section uh, again I'm stumbling through a lot of things this I don't officially you know this is gonna be bad the first few podcasts so Please be patient with me. Um, Mortal Kombat images. I'm going to go from like least important of the things I wrote down. So Mortal Kombat images. They look okay. I'm not really too thrilled with them to be honest. I know some people were hyping them up online. They look alright. Uh, when a trailer comes out. I'll give more of a say on it. And it's also going to be on HBO Max. So it's a little less risk for me to watch something like that. Even if it's bad. So uh, like I said. This point of... Uh, the HBO Max thing kind of takes away all all risk for a lot of its mid to lower tier films, to be honest. And it only makes them rewards, especially if you already have an HBO Max subscription. And it's really cheap comparatively. Like a $15 a month subscription is cheaper than just going to the film. Like you're literally spending less money to go see, you're spending less money to have HBO Max and getting more for that $15 than you are to go see and take a chance on Mortal Kombat in theaters per se and then you have you know little things the Denzel movie coming out at the end of this month so which I'm very excited for which I think is going to be a nice little kick in the ass for me um then 
then I'm, um, the other things I'm looking at here, the new, the other notes, okay, let me, hmm, which one do I want to talk about? Okay, uh, Wonder Woman 3 was picked up, I don't know why that's a surprise or newsworthy, it, it was going to get picked up, it, just because it, the second movie wasn't perfect, did you think they weren't going to make a third one? I don't know. It still was better than everything DC has going for it. And she's pretty much a bona fide superstar in that role. So they're going to keep using her in Wonder Woman as long as she wants to keep being Wonder Woman, by the way. So you're going to get Wonder Woman 4, 5, 6, 7 and her in other movies as long as that, as long as she wants to do that. And as long as people do want to see her as Wonder Woman. It's, she's, a, she's a star in that role and that can go on for a while. Don't be surprised if you get four, five, six, and her leading a new Justice League uh, franchise, which they should do. You also get Chris Evans returning as Captain America. I don't know why. It's it's supposedly rumor as of now because even he's not acknowledging on on social media. But I don't know what people are surprised about this stuff. First of all, he's not. He's not the same age as Robert Downey Jr. Where you can understand him wanting to not do those type of shooting schedules and be on set and do all that. Him walking away from this franchise just seemed more like he wanted to pursue other art, art, artistic endeavors. And I just don't really think that's. Um, I don't think you. I don't think you have to. And I think at a certain point, also, if they throw enough money for the amount of time they want him for which again i don't think he's going to come back for his own solo movie i think it's going to be like little bits here and there you might see even like dream and what if sequences and multiverse like it's not i don't think they're bringing him back full time you know i think if they're looking for someone to do a whole new captain america movie i think they're just going to recast in five years you know especially with multiverse you can easily recast and it would be no problem so you know i think it's just it makes sense, you know, like if you need if you need Steve Rogers, he's still in the universe, he's not dead. So like why wouldn't he be involved in it? So you just you know, you negotiate with him and you don't know also with negotiation if that's also if they're part if they're trying to trade Captain America screen time for hey, we can help you with your other artistic endeavors. So, you know, Chris Evans return to Captain America, not really surprising. As long as people are alive in the universe. You know, I still think even like you probably get a visual of RDJ coming back in the next few years, you know. And like I said, worst case scenario, they just, sooner or later, they're going to recast all these guys because the characters are going to live far longer than the actors. So just, you know, it, to me, this stuff is not big news. Deadpool, um, R-rated in the MCU, officially confirmed. Again, not big news. Money talks. Uh, I don't think people really get the hang of money and viewers talk. That's why you go, you buy the ticket, you go view, you praise. You know, we live in such a negative society where we don't realize that that positive or negative affirmations in a physical standpoint, such as, you know, showing capital, you know, or just in any form of capital, social, uh, financial, etc. You, you, it dictates. These people aren't, people run in business. If they can make money off of having an R-rated Deadpool, they're going to do it. They're going to do... They're going to do Logan. They're going to do films like that because they know that's what the people want. They're not trying to give you what they think you... Yeah, some of them are. But I think a lot of, especially Disney-owned branches, kind of have an idea. Even though people want to knock Star Wars. Which, the problem was they were trying to give what the loudest complainers online in Star Wars Episode Nine, And that failed because they were trying to... Go towards the vocal negativity, not the positive affirmation from everyone, which was there was more positivity on episode eight than there were negativity. So if you listen to the positive stuff and you look at the numbers and you look at the money and you just say, you know, look, Deadpool can be an MCU and when he's an MCU, we can finagle. All you have to do is just no curse words and no blood. It's really not that hard outside of that. And then when he does his own movies, they're all rated. That's it. And also, like, if you're going direct to consumer more and more and more, ratings don't matter. If you're going direct to consumer, ratings don't matter. That is, at that point, it is up to the owner of the subscription to put in the privacy and security measures for their kids to watch and to choose the things they want to watch. 
And by the way, a lot of kids saw Deadpool 1, Deadpool 2. It's on Hulu. There's no restrictions stopping you from watching those two. Just like there aren't for most R-rated movies. It's not that big of a deal. If an R-rated... I personally would love to see ratings get rid of progressively over the next five years. I don't... I don't think they serve any purpose anymore. I think it's all subjective, to be honest. And I think you should be able to judge a rating. It should just be something as simple as this is not suitable for kids under X age. That's it. That, that's the rating system. And if you don't have that, that means it's suitable for them. You know, if you want to watch Pokemon, this is suitable for all ages. That's it. You want to watch Deadpool, this is not suitable for people under 18. That's it. Not an R. Oh, this is an R age. Say it's not suitable for people under age of 18 on average that's it it's not that hard um yeah i don't know why people so stupid uh my major piece of news which i don't think a lot of people it's not news it's rumor again i count it as news especially the more and more uh it seems like it's from credible sources that in disney and in lucasfilm star wars all that they want to kind of not really do uh, luke baby yoda storyline too long and they kind of want to Derek Zach to get Baby Yoda back into Mandalorian storyline because a lot of people are one. I think there's Skywalker fatigue, and I think there's always been Skywalker fatigue, and I think the fantasy of Luke Skywalker is always bigger than the reality of him. He's not a good character, to be honest. And, and I think him as the monolith was more important than him in reality. And I think people don't realize you couldn't really do much of it, much with him in the sequel trilogy. You know, so... I think him in Mandalorian, I think you have to speed through him and Baby Yoda training as fast as possible. I wouldn't be I wouldn't be opposed to like a mid-season, season three time jump. Again, because we're starting to take more and more story type tropes and stylizing and techniques from around the world. Time jumps are very useful. And I think in something like this, like even a year time jump and then you bring Baby Yoda back and you get rid of Luke would just do a ton of wonders. You know, you have you have a lot you can do with that. You could do, you know, half a season three or season three in current time, which again, it's gonna dip. The ratings are gonna dip without Baby Yoda, without Grogu. He's a selling point. It's a, it's, you know, I am excited to see where the series go, but I'm hoping they show Grogu and Baby Yoda. I'm hoping they just don't be like, oh, he's not with the Mandalorian anymore, so he's not gonna be in the Mandalorian. That would be a bad idea in my point of view, and I think that's why they want to nix Luke Skywalker, Baby Yoda as fast as possible and try to run through that as fast as possible. Plus, you have people's, you know, irrational concerns that they're going to kill Baby Yoda. I don't know. It, that, you know, Kylo Ren kills Baby Yoda at the time. I don't know. It's just stupid. It's just, it's whenever Whenever you hear something that doesn't make financial sense on Reddit or on fan theories, just realize they... You have to take now everything they say with a grain of salt because now they're just making things up that makes no sense in reality. Like, they're not going to kill... One, from a financial standpoint, you're not going to kill Baby Yoda. Two, from a story standpoint, it also doesn't make sense. Three, it's just... It's just, again, another... It's just stupid. It's just... It's it's an easy thing to be like, well, there was a temple and they blew it up. Stop. You know, I think this is a smart decision smartest decision by higher-ups is to maybe be like let's rush through this luke skywalker thing it was cool in that segment we're not gonna be able to do it for m many episodes we're not gonna be able to do it you know show him like that it's cool you know we you can also open up the universe to more jedi so again grogu luke skywalker they really need to nix that as fast as possible i'm on board with that and they're right about that so that's news and notes and let's go on to what i'm watching Okay, I this week did not watch a ton of movies. I've been busy with personal stuff. So I pretty much, let's hit up anime real quick. ReZero, Promise Neverland, Jujutsu Kaisen. Uh, all really good. ReZero, second episode. I really like the, the focus on Otto and, you know, his storyline, his backstory. And it came out of nowhere and it was a really good backstory. Promise Neverland, I like the expanding of the universe and the demons and the time scale and the whole humans and demons coinciding different worlds i really like that and i really like giving depth to unknown characters like the demon class and such and the world so now you're adding more mystery without showing it 
you know, which is, you know, an antithesis of a lot of thriller and horrors like show don't tell. They're telling you and they're building up hype. So I really like that. Jujutsu Kaisen, um, from what I understand, this is building into one of the better fight scenes and arcs from, because I'm only watching the dub, not the sub on HBO Max. So it's building real good. I really like where they're going with it. I like uh, the new characters and villains and the new uh, teacher type character. Really good. And then on to my main things I watched this week. Let's go over... I watched Celebrity Wheel of Fortune. Because my mother's a big Wheel of Fortune fan. Uh, it was awful. Terry Hatcher was horrible. Drew Carey was horrible on it. Um, the person from the other really nice show was really bad. It was it was by far one of the worst Celebrity Wheel of Fortunes I've ever seen in my life. I, I really fucking hated watching that for, for an hour. And they're dumb. They're like, there's... They couldn't figure out certain things with like one letter missing. So it was just, it was mind numbing that I watched that. I was originally going to watch a movie. So I, I'm really upset I sat down and watched that. I watched bits of a Hector Camacho documentary on Showtime. I've caught bit, bits and pieces here and there over the past few weeks. Uh, at this point, I've caught enough of it to know that it's a phenomenal documentary. I really should sit down and watch from beginning to end. Uh, underrated, un underspoken about top tier boxer from that time era late 80s early 90s and i think he needs you know boxing documentaries just do it differently i think like if i go back to joe lewis ali documentaries like they're just you know besides ali documentaries besides that travesty that uh the last one that one was good but like facing ali was amazing but boxing documentaries just do it differently you know, Sugar Ray Robinson, Sugar Ray Leonard, uh, Sports Center series on HBO Max. I mean, on ESPN when I was a kid. Boxing documentaries do it different, especially like these fighters always have the most interesting lives. It's there's no other way around it. They have the most interesting lives out of all athletes. You know, and I really hope they start doing more of those like with uh, MMA fighters because like the Tito and Chuck uh, 30 for 30 was amazing. So that was really uh, only sort bits and pieces over the past few weeks but um i think i've caught enough of it at this point to bring it up so hector camacho documentary really good now my main two things i watched this week let me talk about one punch man on hulu the dub of season two is up there a lot of people didn't like season two i really don't know why the idea that it's a step down in art is just stupid it's still great art it's still phenomenal action scenes because it's not the same art as season one doesn't make it bad it just makes it different so instead of complaining about different why don't you watch it and judge based on its merits and also season one was one of the best anime seasons of all time and of all shows like it's gonna go down you can argue it as the best anime season of all time in any show so to compare it to that you're also just not being aware and being you know really smart about it other than that i like to focus on garo i like to focus on again do you know what the thing i think story-wise is the problem with this is that this is a setup for more where the containment of season one was beginning to end like you bookends it's self-contained you can watch season one and not watch anymore and and you know that's it season two you know it's not done and there's going to be a season three there should be a season three and the story keeps going on for a bit longer so it, the self-containment maybe is a problem story-wise which i don't mind because i want a season three so why wouldn't i i don't mind having like certain plots and character arcs be incomplete by the end of the season i'm not expecting every type of show to complete arcs and character you know stories and you know whatever's going on within one season that's not realistic all the time certain things have to drag on to the next season and that's what you get here um other than that like the gar i don't know why people don't I, the garo scenes are all amazing the siryu the martial arts tournament was amazing i think that i actually like i like the serial tournament martial arts stuff better than I like the Fish King stuff from the first season, which is very controversial because a lot of people love that part of it and love the movement rider stand up part. And then, but to me, I think this there's much more discussion here, there's much more better action here, like Siryu being able to fight uh, heroes coming back, 
the to- the prelude with the tournament and the comedy aspect. I think this this season has better comedy for sure, you know. And you also this is a lived in world now, you know where season one was a new world. This is a lived in world, so now you're seeing different aspects in different lights. So One Punch Man season two dub on Hulu right now I highly recommend where season 1 was a 10 out of 10 this is still 9 out of 10 so yes you're getting 10% less and you can complain about that 10% but it's still amazing and I'm really excited for season 3 whenever it comes out so One Punch Man is just you know one is the writer of One Punch Man and Mob Psycho which is Mob Psycho is probably my second favorite anime of all time now uh it's just it's amazing it's amazing it's just done so well now on to the highlight of the week, WandaVision episode one and episode two. I don't think there's much to say about this. I think people are trying to hype it up. It's good, not great, but I think it's supposed to be that way. It's supposed to tease you. It's the show is a is framed in a historical sitcom setting. This is fifties and early sixties, I think. Black and white bewitched. You know, I love Lucy Times, uh, even a little bit Dick Van Dyke and you know uh what do you call it? Jetsons type of cartooniness to it and I think it's it's masked in that that's the facade is going to be every every episode is going to be a different type of you know decade in sitcom television but I think it's at its purest a David Lynch thriller type of surrealistic you know psychodrama and you can see that in hints of it which the best parts of the first two episodes were those you know, Lynchian surrealistic moments and those psycho moments and specifically the end of episode two, you know, and I'm trying not to spoil it right now because I'm going to talk about this more. I think at the end of the season, I'm going to do a whole podcast where it's purely focused on WandaVision because I'm going to do that with my uh, review. So, but I really liked that. I like, I think the best parts of it were the bits when they had color and the character shock. I think, you know, the secondary characters where you're just you know they're important, but you don't know why yet. You whether they're there knowingly, unknowingly, are they, they watching her, surveillancing her, what's going on? You know, also another thing no one's talking about, and I've yet to see this anywhere, is Wanda doesn't have her accent. So this is clearly like to me, I think little things like that, and especially her with the uh, evolution of her ability to control time and space. Which is another thing that's highlighted in the first two episodes, specifically at the end of the second episode, is she has way more power than she's ever had. Because she's not only creating a world based off a perception of sitcoms she probably saw growing up in uh, Wachovia or Slakovia, wherever she's from. She's only, she's also fitting the image. She's knowingly fitting the image of these sitcoms. You know, losing the accent and controlling everything and, and refusal of acceptance of the real world. So it's, you know, clearly she had a mental breakdown. Uh, so we're seeing the after effects of that. You know, you have hints at sword, you have hints at maybe aim, you have hints at a bunch of stuff. So we'll see where it goes. I'm very, I'm very, I'm bored in just off the fact that we haven't had any Marvel stuff to begin with. So it's easy sell for me, but I'm also bored in from the psycho thriller, from the confusing parts. And I'm really excited to see where it goes. You know, I'm waiting. I can't wait for that Halloween episode where, you know, vision breaks the mind control of Agnes which you saw in the trailer and I think that's going to open a lot of doors so I'm very excited to see where that goes how it goes and I think great acting so far you know and I think it's different I don't think this is going to be an action series I don't think you're going to get heavy action in the series I think it's going to be a thriller I think this is going to be a you know surreal surrealistic lynching type of you know drama and that's what I'm here for you know I think that's what you should be here for and I think you should appreciate that they're doing something different and you may not like the first two episodes because it does seem very plain for lack of a better term besides the moments that I point out but I think it's supposed to be like that because it's it's setting the table for bigger things and I don't think you would get this in a film this is where having longer drawn out narratives are really good so, I'm really excited to see where it goes. I'm excited for episode 3 on on uh, Friday. And, you know, it is what it is. It, I'm, I'm really excited. So, let me go on. 
Okay, so my main topic of today, and this is kind of a quick one because I didn't really do much research on other producers, is when Ben Affleck said that Kevin Feige is the greatest producer of all time, I am on board. I look at producers and studio heads as the same, especially traditionally old studio heads I feel like were executive producers and head of producers, plus Feige is president of Marvel Studios and CCO or creative chief officer, whatever that is, of Marvel, so he kind of is a studio head also, he is in a studio, not kind of, so pretty much producers and studio heads, um, they usually get jerked off in a way of like, they're just money men, but they're not always, and a lot of times they have more say than you people think, and they pretty much dictate the directors, you know, I think we give a little too much credence, we don't give any credit to the writers, who are the most important part of any type of storytelling, and we don't give... And we give a little too much credit to the directors and the um and the leads and not enough to like the writers, the cinematographers, and the true producers, not just the money men. And Feige is a true producer. You know, like he was you know, I don't want to judge him based on, you know, his upbringing, but it didn't seem like he had a bad upbringing. I don't think he, you know, came from nothing. I think he probably came from uh, decent background, but he worked his way up, and it seems like he always wanted to be a director and never got a chance to, so, you know, he started out as a uh, assistant and executive producer early in his career, late 20s, I don't, again, this is my big problem with all this stuff, is it seems like a lot of who knows who type of business in entertainment and film and becoming producers and coming from affluence, like, there's really no room for a broke person with a creative mind to become a producer, it's always, you know, wealth upon wealth and not only just financial but just resourceful wealth and capital in that sense so i want to put that type of narrative to the side and talk about what he oversaw from beginning to end and you really have to like be very appreciative that he started around 27 with marvel you know and he was like i think an associate producer which again it's very producer is one of those terms that is so va volatile yet versatile because a lot of people cringe at producer and then a lot of people don't really know what each producer does where they each can do a different thing so sometimes it's just money sometimes it's just someone on the board who was behind and overseeing the backing of this and it could be as much as like they had no say to they had final say on final edit so which is very much more common than you think is uh directors don't have final edit on their films so when you really come down to it you know the directors are there on set to shoot and direct the shooting and then after that they might not have any more say so keep that in mind when you're discussing these type of people and with Feige he pretty much just took an IP that was middling not saying it was great because you know he was an associate producer I think on the first X-Men one of the Spider-Man films for Sony Fox and all that and he oversaw some success there, and he pretty much got, you know, recognized for his knowledge of the IP, which is, in all due respect, what a producer should, an active producer on set should be. They should be informed. They shouldn't be, a lot of the horror stories with producers you hear is from producers who think they're creative and think they have an understanding, and they actually don't. They just think because they have the producer title, they should have a say, and they also want the ego of them being involved to reflect in the work so they could say that's me I had a part in this story so you never really saw that with Feige you saw someone who's true to the IP and the storytelling and what it takes for the film to be successful and you saw him oversee this you know he was at a very young age I think it was let's see 34 he was president of production for Marvel Studios and oversaw you know Iron Man to the, to every film up until now so you know you're 34 years old, you're getting in charge of this IP. Clearly, the first few films were, you know, like, you you didn't know. People can say they knew, but you didn't know what it was going to turn into. You know, that's the best part about Marvel and comic storytelling. Sometimes they might build something without knowing they're building something. And they leave little things that you might think, like, oh, they're planning that 10 years down the road. But they're, it might just be open-ended because they have an idea of, like, if we get to a certain point, this we can play play with which is what Feige's, Feige's good at and pretty much from 34 to now which is like you know he's 51 I think so you know 40, 47 so pretty much you know you have you know 30, 
you have probably the most historic run a producer's ever going to have from successful, you know, films. Like, I know people are going to be like, well, they're not artistic films, or they're not, blah, blah, blah. I'm talking about pure success. You know, as of right now, you're talking about 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23 films that are all profitable in the $100 million plus to billion dollar mark. And he oversaw that from beginning to end, so the escalation, so the evolution of these films, so the evolution of these characters took, took, you know, people forget the Avengers weren't a tier one character. Tier one Marvel characters were, and remember, Marvel also almost went bankrupt in the 90s. So, like, the idea that these characters were money in the bank is not true because the character's company almost went bankrupt. And comics have had struggle, and comic storytelling have had struggle because... It was a niche, often shunned base of IP where it was like most things that are pop culture, you know, fake aristocrats and fake highbrow people really, you know, try to shun this type of art because it's, they think they're better than it. But in the end, it, talent and good story will always rise to the top and it will fight through that, especially nowadays with the internet and, you know, internet forums, at least the positive is that people you know, can at least, you know, it's very hard to have fake art and fake artists, you know, persevere on a popular stage. You know, you have to be true. You have to be a Scorsese. You have to be a Tarantino, you know, who are true to their storytelling. You can't have fake storytellers. That's why you see a lot of, you know, Oscar bait movies just be atrocious and they're getting worse and worse. The bad Oscar bait movies have only gotten worse. And when you go look back in history, some of them are just pitiful but it's like people really think that type of bullshit flies and it really is flying less and less and with direct to consumer you're going to see it fly never if you make an oscar movie you make a piece of art and you want it to be recognized as a piece of art it has to be really really good i think you know recently an example that is like pieces woman is good good acting performance by uh web but it's just i think 10 15 years ago it would have been praised pre-internet it would have been like just ate up and like jerked off every type of form every type of medium and nowadays it's just it's it, you recognize it for exactly what it is and the thing about what Kevin Feige did is that he took you know the tier one Marvel characters were Fantastic Four X-Men Spider-Man that's it it was never Avengers Iron Man Captain America they were tier two they were always secondary there's a reason why they united them all for the Avengers. It wasn't because these were the most popular characters. It's because they, they figured the popularity from each one of these characters. Thor, Hulk, Ant-Man, Iron Man, Captain America combined. Which Captain America didn't show up until I think a few issues later. But, you know, they combined them because of their lack of public appeal from a mass appeal. And they figured if we combine five medium popular characters on a team, it will make a super popular team, you know, similar to an X-Men where it's like all these characters are well liked, let's, and they, their combination raises the bar, you know, teams, teams bring in more than solo acts for the most part, um, and Marvel kind of recognized that before DC in a grander scope, because if you look at the combinations of teams on Marvel, character-wise, and the combination of teams on DC DC relies a little too much on its big three where Marvel can diversify popularity and funds almost to a detriment because sometimes they forget that there's certain aspects you know that are just too popular like Spider-Man and X-Men like if you you can keep going to that well all the time you know um where DC relies on going to that well but Feige took this idea and he looked at the, he looked at his resources with Marvel Studios and said, these are the rights we have. Yeah, they're not the biggest ones, but we can make this do. We, we can build a world. We can build a universe. And he built something that has never been done before, especially on this scale, is a cinematic universe. And alone from that, the grandiose idea of that actually working, it, you have to think odds are it wasn't going to work. And he made it work and he made it work more tremendous to the point that it influenced all of cinema and production to the point of everyone wants some form of cinematic universe as their bread and butter for their studios. And he did that. And he also did that with lesser resources and lesser tools. And he bided time till he was able to get the better tools and the better resources, i.e. like Spider-Man, i.e. Marvel, I mean uh, X-Men, i.e. Fantastic Four, because he has a 
better scope and he stays in his zone. You know, this is another thing I think people need to understand. If you're really good at something, stick with it. Don't, if it's your bread and butter, stick with it. Don't go and be like, I can do Marvel Cinematic Universe, but now let me put all my time into these other things. I want to do art house films. Nah, you're good. Stick with Marvel. You know, like, I know he's diversifying into Star Wars, but that's a very much more lateral move than it is, you know, a different, you know, it's not a different multiverse of making film. It's it pretty much if he just copies and pastes his, his uh, structure there, it's going to be successful. And I think that's what they're looking for, you know, and he has a very macro view of things where it's just like, this is why creative control is very uh, funny with uh, Marvel because you've seen directors leave like Ant-Man and Doctor Strange because they have a vision and they have this. And it's like, dude, if you don't get that, you don't, you can play in their sandbox, but it's their sandbox, their rules their structure of sandbox don't try to change the sandbox and that's a very important thing for everybody to learn is sometimes and i think feige's career is an example of this is that less is more and you can make something great out of what you have and be appreciative of what you have iron man you know the few characters you have you can build on that and then if you're able to succeed with what you have, you'll have more down the road. You just have to be patient, you know. And obviously this is a grandiose example. You know, guy from a supposed good family with good network. And he gets in a Marvel. And, you know, maybe it was... I don't think the stakes were as high as people think they were in the beginning. I think the stakes got high as the popularity started increasing. I think, like, right around Iron Man 2 was pretty much... You know, which that's the third movie in, in the row. But, like, around that time, you started getting more traction. I think you had, you were playing with House Money with Iron Man, hit a home run. House Money with Incredible Hulk, hit, hit a home run. Iron Man 2, which a lot of people, you know, don't really respect enough, was great. I think that was profitable. Thor, profitable. Captain America, amazing. Then you get Avengers, and it was just the biggest, it, arguably top five biggest moment moments in movie history. And it dictated move movie history from then on you know and people can lambast these type of guys like oh he ruined cinema but really what he did was he did what a lot of old producers did just on a more professional and high-end scale where it's like pop culture pop noir films science fiction literature and taking that and adapting it and and all this other historical things of adapting and it's taking popular stuff adapting it you saw it with noir detectives and i always point to noir detectives and then sci-fi thrillers you know where they're not always the most popular thing for a cinema buff stories point out to it's more of a modern postmodern cinema buff likes likes those type of um categories and not everything has to be you know genre you know like the the cinema critic that should have died a long time ago is the type that thinks that everything has to be depressing but it can't be entertaining everything has to be real and authentic but these people never really real lived a real and authentic world where like the truth is it has to be if you're talking about fiction which by the way all movies are fiction whether they're based on a true story or not they're fiction it's it's entertainment and it's telling a story and it's fine if you're not going for pure entertainment. I think entertainment is subjective. I think having a meaning and telling a, you know, theme and learning a lesson is entertainment. I think depressing stuff is entertainment. I think Manchester by the Sea is entertaining. I think entertainment is subjective. But you have to understand that and you have to be aware that entertainment is subjective. And a guy like Feige does. And his, there is a Marvel formula, I guess. But I think it's so uh, versatile that it's, you can't, you can't compare any movie to any movie franchise in it but they all work together they all work cohesive and they all sometimes are simple to a fault and i think that's what people forget sometimes you can have four characters in a movie like you don't need when you look at some of the earlier uh, marvel movies it's not a ton of characters besides like soldiers or some extra like mass character where it's nameless or it's like just generic like there's not a ton of characters in iron man there's not a ton of characters in incredible hulk there's not a ton of characters in thor you know there's really just not ant-man there's not a ton of characters guardians of the galaxy the first one there really aren't a lot of characters you know what i'm saying like it's just it's just really not dealing with a lot of people 
you know, even Black Panther, again, you take out the, the volume of soldiers, you're not dealing with a lot of characters, you're telling a story with maybe five to ten integral characters, and you're building it around that. Where, like, a lot of these films don't realize, like, you don't need to build a story around a hundred characters. You build around four or five, and then you add around that till you're full, till you make a complete dinner, a complete meal, and then you serve it. And then you don't go too far over and stuff people up, and you don't go too far under and make people feel unfulfilled and sometimes less is more you know i'd rather have a more simple more uh, straightforward story and that's where i think this is really helpful and i think if i hit that out of the head hit that out of the park i think when you look at and now he has more of a sandbox to play in he he it's cold going it's like a fish to a bigger pond to a bigger pond but he becomes a bigger fish as he goes to bigger ponds that's the way you should be doing. You shouldn't be just be like, I'm perfect the way I am. It's evolution of a worker, evolution of a mindset, evolution of a uh, of a environment. Like you shouldn't rush too fast to go to the big playpen, which is a lot of problems with a lot of pop movies is that they try to rush too fast and skip sets where sometimes you need, listen, you need to eat the first few years of a cinematic universe and do an Iron Man and, an, and a Thor where you know, oh, we could do better. You don't think they know knew they could do better movies. They could have done better movies, but it's too, you don't want to go too fast too soon. And that groundwork of those first few years of building yourself up and building the production up and building the studio up helped. So now you're doing, you know, new age and they're, they're them and Star Wars with Mandalorian. You know, they're overseeing a new age of uh, television series, which I think we're going towards a way where we're not going to call telev- television as we'll use it colloquially, but really it's like serialized visual mediums, serialized movies, serialized television. You know, that's not traditional, like a WandaVision, like a Falcon Winter Soldier, Loki. And it's even, and now because of the work you did, it makes stuff that aren't traditionally you know, mass media things like a what if animated series, you make it pop culture, you make it consumable for everybody. And you're seeing this become successful in other places. You're seeing, you know, you're seeing a lot more people want to build universes and you need other universes to fail and you need other universes to succeed. And you don't need everything to be at the highest level. And that's what I think we're doing. And I think a good example of this is like the, the monster cinematic universe with Godzilla and Kong is that they're building it slowly and smartly and it's like we're not it seems like they're not like legendary and all that aren't in for the short short uh bang for the buck they know it's uh multinational ip and they know they can get a lot of people with it so it's like let's it, they're taking their time and they're not trying to ki- like not every movie is trying to be avengers endgame not every movie is trying to be the greatest godzilla movie of all time the greatest Kong movie they're just trying to be good movies with the potential for greatness you know, sometimes it's good enough to just be good. You don't need to be the best thing ever, every single time. You know, I get that from an artistic director standpoint when they have complete control like a Scorsese and Tarantino where it's like they're always trying to make the greatest possible thing they can next. But sometimes you can be happy with putting out a very good meal because you're making another meal tomorrow. You know, think about it like that. You know, think about it in a chef standpoint. Like, you got to make a thousand meals. You're not making a thousand five-star meals. If you make mostly four-star meals, you're one of the greatest chefs of all time. That's what Feige is. He made a lot of three- and four-star meals with a few five-star meals in between, but it's when you look at it like a baseball player over a career, he has a long, long career high batting average. You know, he's going to be go down as one of the greatest of all time because of his batting average, not because of his home run total, which again, if you if you have a high batting average, you allow yourself more at-bats, which is what he's doing, which he's going to accumulate more and more home runs and more and more accolades and then more and more chances, i.e. Star Wars. So, this is one of those examples where it's if you're fortunate enough to be in a chance to have these type of opportunities, appreciate them, be grateful, take it slow, don't try to move too fast. Once you get the good opportunities, you already won. So it's about maintaining success, maintaining that batting average. And if you have, if you look back, some of the worst, if you had to review all the Marvel movies now, some of the worst Marvel movies are the first ones. All the better ones are more the recent ones. The more rewatchable ones are the more recent ones. The you know when you have a run of, you know, Civil War, Spider Man, Homecoming, Rag. First of all, Homecoming, Ragnarok, Black Panther, Infinity War, uh, Captain Marvel, Endgame. That's a straight up run. 
those are all four to five star films, if not most of them are five stars in my opinion, when it comes to pure entertainment, storytelling, character, character arcs, and just, you know, complete two hour, two and a half hour extravaganzas. You know, they do, there's their escapism, they're heartwarming, they're all the things you could be looking for in a story and they're there. And the point is, you needed to hit those three and four out of fives. And you need to not rush that. And you need to accumulate those hits and accumulate those walks like a baseball player. You know, you need to make those completions like a football player. You need to get your free throw percentage up like a basketball player. I'm, again, I'm trying to equate it to sports, to people who maybe like that. And Feige is that. Feige is a guy who, who listen, there's probably no better guy in the industry that can make a three out of five movie. But there's also no better guy to trust with more opportunities to make a 5 out of 5 movie with. You know what I'm saying? Like, if I have one shot and I need at least a good movie, Feige's going to do it. If I have five shots and I want an amazing movie out of those five, Feige's going to do it. I Money in the bank. So, the point is, it's such a track record, such consistency, such high level of professionalism, such... Uh, and he, again, he has a love for the IP, which also helps. But I don't think you always need love and passion. I think it just helped him here... And made him endeared to the people who were looking to hire someone for that position. But again, he took his time. He was patient. He structured things well. He wasn't trying to hit a home run every time he came out of bat. He was just trying to get on base. He was just trying to get get a hit. He was trying to load the bases up so he can hit a home run. He was trying to gain trust out of the people with money. Not everything has to be a fight because someone has money. They trust you. Oh, he's making us more money and more money and more money. He wants more opportunities. Well, he's been good to us in the past and we're going to give him more. That's the basis of, of this. You're not in full control and neither was Feige from beginning. And he's probably still not in full control, but he has... But he has enough respect and endearment from people around him that he's able to have final say. He's able to say no to high-end directors who want to be like, I want to just move my way. It's like, no, this doesn't really work for us. I know a little bit better. I'm not saying that it's a bad idea, but this isn't for us. And it may come off like that because we want to support the creatives, but Feige is a creative too. You know, don't forget that. This is a creative producer, and his success deserves that. So when you hear people fight with producers, sometimes you have to look at the context of the situation and look at the history of both of them, and certain times the producer might actually be right. You know, I know that's a very uncommon thing, and it's not an easy narrative to sell, but the producer sometimes are right. You know, like, it, they're, they're especially the successful ones, you know, and then that's the point. We should, we should make it making known that some people are more successful than others. Some people have better taste. Some people are better at art. And Feige might be better at what he does and, and managing the managers of film. And that's it. So Feige, one of the greatest... Okay, let me go on to what I'm watching, what I'm planning on watching this upcoming week. I have a very busy week besides Monday being off for MLK Day. Uh, I want to get to One Night in Miami. I know Nomadland is coming out in a few weeks on Hulu, so I can wait to watch that instead of, you know, cutting any corners to watch it. But One Night in Miami is on Amazon now. It's pretty much going to be the Oscar front runner and Oscar probably winner. So I wouldn't mind watching that there's some movies on my hulu and hbo max queue that i want to watch so we'll see how that goes um other than that it's pretty much very plain week for me i think i'm gonna uh finish up what i have left to watch on fire force from an anime standpoint you know re-zero promise everland jujitsu kaisen i'm you know i'm all in on this season so you'll hear me talk about them next next week from a you know nightly everyday hosting type of show celebrity wheel of fortune is back on hopefully this week episode is better than last week um other than that i don't think there's anything you know i'm excited for wandavision season episode three it's now with color it's her being pregnant it seems like it's i wouldn't say it's married with children yet um i think it's a little bit before that but i think now when there's color added to the world it's kind of peeling back the layers of what she's expecting. So, you know, I think that's really good to watch. I think it's going to, I think this episode, I think every episode from now on, because there's seven episodes left, only nine episodes, every episode is going to be really good. So I think like it, it's only a show that builds up with quality. It's not going to go down. So 
other than that, I don't really know what else. I I kind of want to start binging Stranger Things and Witcher just because I think season four for Stranger Things and I think season two of Witcher will be coming within the next few months. So I kind of want to, you know, I personally like try to at least binge the last season of a show before the new season comes out, if not more. So, and I'm always looking for things to watch late at night when I'm like really unwinding and really trying to go to sleep so I can waste an hour, hour and a half from like 9, 10 to whenever I go to sleep. So, I'm excited. I kind of think uh, I think I might do The Witcher because it's an easier start. But Stranger Things, I can just start from season two, let's say, and just watch and go. So that's pretty much it. It's a lot of TV, not a lot of movies. I, um, you know, there's a lot of movies I can watch, but I haven't. I'll probably watch something tomorrow on Monday on an off day from work because my mother likes watching movies too. So I'll probably let her pick something. Oh, they're doing a lot of Ocean's 11, 12, and 13 marathons on. Because I think they're premiering Ocean's 8 on network television. So I think they're doing that as a build-up. Uh, my favorite trilogy of all time. I think it's the greatest movie trilogy of all time. So check that out. Uh, let me know what you think about that. That's an episode I'm going to do on my YouTube channel of best trilogy of all time. It's going to be Ocean's. I also have a few other things coming out. I have a Schwarzenegger vs. Stallone video coming out soon. I think it's going to be more of a talking piece. And then I think I'm going to extrapolate it on a podcast episode, which is what I think I'm going to be doing in my podcast is taking, maybe making shorter segments of my uh, YouTube videos and then talking about it in long form and rambling for the most part on podcasts such as that. I also have a piece going up about um, the Xeon in Mobile Suit Gundam and their similarities to the American colonies before the American Revolution and the American founders. Uh, that hasn't been done yet, but I plan on, I have the outline and pretty much key points to do about it. That's another one where I think I may do a five minute video on it, then recommend to come to my podcast. I'm thinking about that because it'd be a little easier for me to do shorter videos and more long drawn out podcasts in theory, but we'll see. So this is what I'm watching podcast with Chris Kira and thank you for watching this episode a little low energy for me just because it's been a really long week not a lot of sleep so um and let me know what you think about Kevin Feige I know I didn't go too far into it as much as I would like in this episode but um I think he I think he's the greatest producer of all time even though I don't know all the producers of all time so I think in modern era when you look at a guy and you just you know again you heard all my points it's he's he's the best with what he did and don't forget that the thing he helped create no one was paying attention to you know 20 years before so you know you can in retrospect you can be like oh, it was easy with ip but in the same breath that ip you weren't buying uh, a long time ago so you know kim fai the goat um yeah that's it what i'm watching uh beta pilot test blah 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 episode 2.2 whatever you want to call this uh this is me signing out chris care Peace. Check out Chris Kira Reviews. I post a recent episode with uh, 10 black and white classics to watch. And I think it's uh, all home runs. It's, it was a kind of an easy list for me to do at 30. So go check that out. Check out my other videos and check out my podcast. Like, subscribe. Leave notes on the YouTube channel so I can uh, try to improve. You know, again, it's a lot of... Today is a very... I apologize if it was low energy. But other than that, like content wise and streamlining and what you want me to talk about if there's things you don't like me talking about things you do like me talking about i'm down here about it all so otherwise stay happy stay grateful you know stay active peace out